Romans chapter 15. Please turn there with me. Romans chapter 15. The title today is this, The Gospel, The Foundation of True Unity. Now, as I mentioned, last week we were talking about this issue of Christian liberty. And Christian liberty, that means we are free. Liberty means free. All right? You know, it's, it's amazing what you, what you see going on right now in our nation. And uh, a lot of people don't understand if the people pursue the direction they're going, we won't have any more liberty in America. What we're going to have is anarchy. We're going to have a, uh, it's turning into a, a, a nation of bullies. And uh, this is a grave mistake because once you lose freedom, it's very hard to get it back. And so we need to be careful. Now, I wasn't going to say this, but I will just say this, and it won't take long, okay? I'm not going to detract from my message. What about this stuff about racism? Okay, it's simple. It's so simple, people don't even see it, okay? It's found, the answer to racism is found in John 3.16. For God so loved the world, that means everybody, God loves everybody the same, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever of that world believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus died for the sins of the world. He didn't die for the sins of some. He died for the sins of all. All are equally important to God. All people are equally important to God, okay? Now, if you understand that and you believe that, and we live that way, that's the end of racism. It's the end of it. And that's all we need to say. Every life matters. That's what God says. And to be honest with you, if you you disagree with that, I'm not interested in what you have to say. Because God is always right. And uh, no man's opinion is above the word of God. The gospel, the foundation of true unity. We are looking at unity today. And what brings it? And in Romans 15, verse 1, it says, We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Now, the weak here, the infirmities, okay, the weaknesses. Some Bible translations put in the word scruples. That sounds weird to me. I don't know. I I think infirmities is just fine. The idea is that there are people who are newborn babies in Christ. They have a hard time understanding the issues of Christian liberty. So what happens is they get offended by Christians exercising their God-given liberty in Christ, not in sin now. Sin is always wrong. Sin is always wrong. But in areas that the scriptures aren't clear, and so some have a hard time with different areas, and so what should we do? We should do all we can do just to get along with each other on areas that are not part of the faith. What is the faith? The faith is anything the word of God says clearly. Anything the word of God says clearly. I know many years ago when uh, the term fundamentalist became popular, and this is many years ago now, we're talking like almost 100 years ago, all right? The idea was, well, there's five fundamentals of the faith. No, there's more than five fundamentals of the faith. And the truth of it is those people would have agreed with that but there wasn't the anti-biblical ideas in such prevalence back then as there are today. And so uh, there are more than five, though. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. You see, the proper use of liberty doesn't please yourself. 
it pleases God first and, and those around us, okay? Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification, to building up. Now, remember, the context of this is local church. And so we should desire and we should strive towards getting along with one another. We're all different. None of us are the same. We're going to have differences of opinion, different likes, different dislikes. What do you do with that? Again, we're not talking about uh, things that are clearly spelled out in Scripture. We are talking about things that aren't clearly spelled out in Scripture. Cut each other some slack, okay? For even Christ pleased not himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproach thee fell on me. So we see again the selfless attitude we need to have towards those who differ in the minor issues of life, okay? We should be striving as believers within the local church to promote harmony, unity, and fruit because we have a job to do. It's called the Great Commission, And you know what, folks? If we would be more occupied with what God has for us to do, we would be less occupied in judging one another on these areas that don't matter, that aren't issues. More occupied with the will of God, less occupied with judging each other, and especially judging others' motives. That is absolute pure sin. By the way, if anything is legalism, that is judging another person's motives. Again, we're not talking about issues that Scripture clearly addresses. Those are set in stone. We are to seek to please one another and put others first, being servants of of one another. Now, why is that such an important issue? This is what we're talking about today. Why is the issue such an important issue? The issue of serving one another, edifying, building up, one another. Why is that vital? Well, that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to focus on several aspects to that. All right. And the first one is this. Here's something we need to have foundational before we ever get to the point of unity. We need to have number one, confidence in the promises of scripture, confidence in the promises of scripture. This is foundational for our lives. If we can't believe that the Bible is true, then we're never going to have unity because we're going to differ on things that are incredibly important. Romans 15 verse 4, it says this, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. We're going to break that verse down, okay? We see, you know, written aforetime. What's that referring to? The Old Testament scriptures. We see in the Old Testament a record of God's faithfulness to his word and his character. God is faithful to his word. God is faithful to who he is. That's his character. And the Old Testament gives us story after story. And when I say story, I'm not talking about fairy tales. I'm talking about historical records of things that actually took place, God coming through, God being strong on behalf of his people, God honoring his word, living and acting according to his word. That's what we see in the Old Testament. And as you read through the Old Testament, and I hope you're doing that, by the way, hopefully you're not one of these Christians that says, well, there's nothing in the Old Testament that applies nowadays, it's just New Testament. Well, I don't know where you got that, but that's bad theology. That's teaching that's contrary to Scripture. What do we have? We have God's faithfulness to his word and character. We also have examples of how we are to live as God's children in the Old Testament. 
as we faithfully live out the scriptures, even under difficult times, we will receive comfort through God's faithfulness. And when we receive comfort because God is faithful to what he has said, he'll always perform. He'll always be faithful to his promises. What does that do? We also then receive hope, joyful anticipation, expectation, all right? Confidence, I love that. That's a perfect synonym for the, for the concept of biblical hope. Confidence, confidence in what? Confidence that God will be true to his word. Folks, that is a fundamental of the Christian life. You can't live your life successfully as a Christian if you doubt whether God's gonna be true to the scriptures or not. People sometimes ask, what kind of church is Northland? I'll tell you what kind of church. We are a Christ-centered, Bible-centered church. What about this movement? What about that movement? Well, the only movement we're concerned about is the movement that comes from applying the word of God. And we're not into this and not into that. And if there's a new thing that's probably going to come up in the next couple years within Christendom, okay, and uh, we're not interested. We're just not interested. Let's just keep on track, church. In other words, through patient application of the scriptures, we receive comfort that causes us to have confidence as we continue to live for Christ. This is a wonderful truth, okay? A Christian who takes that seriously is a Christian who will end up running his race successfully. It's how it works. It's how it works. We can have full confidence in God's word and then live accordingly with Confidence and, can I use this word? Boldness. Boldness. Okay? Now I look back on my early years in ministry. I had boldness, but you know what? My boldness today is a deeper boldness. Why? Because I have seen, over all these decades, I have seen God be true to his word. And it isn't that I doubted it, it's that I'm more convinced than ever more convinced. You know, what did the disciples ask the Lord? Lord, increase our faith. You know, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Verse five. Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another, that's unity, according to Christ Jesus. Do you see that? Not according to our own opinion, but according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and one mouth Glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wherefore, receive ye one another as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Okay? This is a conclusion to this whole issue that he's been talking about, about Christian liberty. What should we do? As long as we are within the boundaries of Scripture, we're not talking about receiving people in the sense of fellowshipping with them who are living in sin. That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about receiving the weaker brother and everything in between. Get along. Let's get along with each other. Let's work together. Let's let's have, you notice in verse 6, one mind and one mouth. One mind and one mouth. And what are we supposed to do with our mouths and minds? Look at it. Verse 6. Two words. Glorify God. Glorify God. Wherefore, receive ye one another as Christ also received us to the glory of God. How did the Lord receive us? Now, we're going to spend some time on this. This is very important. How did the Lord receive us? Just as we are, with all of our faults and all of our weaknesses. Now, that does not mean our sin doesn't matter. 
But see, what does this point to, folks? This is based on grace. This is how Christ received us, based on his grace. What is grace? God's unmerited favor, his undeserved mercy. That's what grace is, okay? And that's how we are supposed to receive each other, by grace. Not, okay, I'll receive you if you jump through my man-made hoops, I'll receive you. No, we understand we're sinners. We understand we can't earn eternal life. This is how we were received. Yet we understand what Christ did for us. You know, there's a great hymn of the faith. It is a great hymn of the faith. Unfortunately, many times, churches and people who sing this song mess up the gospel. They'll sing the great hymn, just as I am, without one plea. But what? That thy blood was shed for me, I come. Well, that hymn writer's got it right. Just as I am without one plea. In other words, I am coming as a sinner, lost, hopeless. My only hope is that your blood, Lord, has, was shed for me on Calvary. Friend, that is what the Bible talks about when it talks about being saved by grace. Look over here. You can turn in your Bible if you want, but over here the verses are clearly spelled out. These are the verses that our, our church is built on, our foundation. For by grace are you saved through faith, faith in Christ, and that not of yourselves. You cannot do anything to help save yourself. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, verse 9 says, not of works, not of works, lest any man should boast. So how do we get saved? We come to the Lord just as we are. We come by faith. Faith in Jesus Christ and him alone. Now, if it wasn't for the word of God, we would not have a clear explanation of the plan of salvation. We would not have a clear explanation of the gospel. And it's only through the good news of Christ, the gospel, that we can be saved. The gospel and only the gospel, the good news concerning Christ, is the only way anybody will ever get to heaven. This is the foundation of true unity. You will never have True, genuine, biblical unity until you've got the gospel straight. Hold your place here in chapter 15 and go to chapter 10 with me. See, the problem today, folks, is not God. The problem is not the word of God. The problem is man. Man messes it up. Man does not understand it. Man refuses to understand God's terms of the gospel. It's like you explain it to them. They say, I can't accept it. I can't accept it. You can't tell me that you trust in Christ as your savior and then you're saved no matter what. I can't accept that. Let me ask you this. Why can't you accept that? What you're saying is this. If you're saying you're going to heaven no matter what, if you're saying that that is wrong, then what you're saying is your works have some part in your salvation. Look up here, verse nine. Not of works. I don't know how anybody could say it any clearer than that. But man wants to mess it up. Do you know why? Lest any man should boast. Man wants to be able to say, I had a part in this. I lived a faithful life. Look at the way I lived. I was faithful. I was sincere. I was all these things. Friends, your faithfulness and sincerity is not going to get you to heaven. 
It's only the blood of Jesus Christ, the death payment he made on the cross that will get you to heaven. That's the good news. If it is up to you one iota, you're not going to make it because you have failed and you will fail. Romans 10, 16. But they have not obeyed the gospel. You see there, you got to obey. Yeah, you're right. What do you have to obey? The gospel. And what is it? That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Where is live according to scripture in that verse? It's not there. What is the response to the gospel? Faith. Faith in Christ. I'll show that to you again in a minute. But look at it in verse 16. But they have not all obeyed the gospel for Esaias or Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath what? Believe. That's how you obey the gospels by believing in Christ as your savior. Who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Again, if it wasn't for the word of God, we would not have a clear explanation of the gospel. We couldn't hear what the gospel is. And you understand that we can hear with our eyes too, right? I don't mean literally physically, but you can read it. And in a sense, you're hearing what God has to say. He speaks through the scriptures. See, God's word is 100% true and we can base eternity and our lives on that. And so we begin today with this issue of confidence in the promise of scripture. Secondly, though, let's move on now to this issue of biblical unity. And we see that in our text as we go through. Unity, can I tell you today that unity is the will of God for every child of God in every church. But it is not unity at any cost. And that's where a lot of people make mistakes today. I'll compromise on this, I'll compromise on that. Wait a minute, friend. Listen, you can compromise on something that's not clearly spelled out in Scripture. We do not have a license to compromise the written Word of God. We do not have a license for that. You are elevating yourself to the eternal judge, and that's only God. That's not our place. Unity must be based on the truth of the gospel. This is how biblical unity comes. First and foremost, under number two, point A, unity must be based on the truth of the gospel first and foremost. Listen, I didn't say gospels. I didn't say people's explanation of salvation. I said the gospel. That means there's only one. And that is, by the way, what the Bible teaches. Unity must be based on the truth of the gospel first and foremost, and there's only one. It is the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ as the complete payment for our sins. We are totally incapable of saving ourselves. It's not what Jesus did on the cross and anything. It is what Jesus did on the cross, period, that provides salvation for us. The minute you bring in some act of faithfulness on your part, you are saying it's Christ and your good works. That is a false gospel. And the Bible says that's an accursed message as we are going to see in just a moment here. We are totally incapable of saving ourselves. You still in Romans? Go to chapter one. Romans chapter one. Friend, let us believe God. Let God be true and every man what? A liar. If he doesn't believe it. 
Romans 1 verse 16, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. The word gospel means good news of Christ. Now, why is it good news? Well, because Christ paid the price and salvation's been provided. All you got to do is trust in him and he'll give you eternal life. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it. You understand the singular aspect of this, the gospel and then it. It is the power of God unto salvation. This is what God uses to save. It is the power of God unto salvation based on what? To everyone that does what? Believeth. Is there anything else there besides that? Nothing. To everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. By the way, we're going to get back to that important thing in just a second. For therein, in the gospel, is the righteousness of God revealed. Not our righteousness, but his. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. In other words, it begins with faith, it ends with faith. It's all about him. The just shall live by faith. Not faith and works, faith. You see that? Very clear, right? Romans 1, 16, it's so important. And by the way, do you notice he said to everyone that believe it, to the Jew first? Remember that, to the Jew first. We're going to get further down in the passage and you'll see why that's significant. Go with me over to Galatians. In your Bible, Galatians chapter 1, it says in verse 6. Now, do we understand why Galatians is written. Here's what happened. Paul went there, preached the gospel. Many people got saved, him and his team. And many people got saved there. They left. After they left, false Jewish teachers came in. And they said this. Well, Christ may be necessary, but he's not enough. You also have to do good works. Okay? Specifically, keep the law. You know, now, by the way, some people argue with me. I hate getting off on these, but I feel like I need to say it. Some people argue with me and they'll say, well, it's, it's uh, no, you don't have to keep the law, but you have to do good works. There's no higher good works anywhere than the law that God gave in the commandments. Okay. Those are good works, aren't they? Yes, they're good works. We just can't let it go. Well, I can, but some people can't. And so Paul is writing these people. These are Christians who got messed up, who now are confused and are thinking, well, maybe it isn't just Jesus. Maybe I also have to do these other things. And he's writing them and saying, listen, let me be firm with you. That's what he's saying in Galatians 1 here. Understand this is not an issue that can be compromised. There's no wiggle room on this. Look what he says in Galatians 1.6. I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, another message, which is not another, okay? But there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. That word pervert means to distort into something of an opposite character. And that's the way that Greek word is used. It's a really eye-opening Look up that Greek word. All the places that's used in the New Testament. You will find the, all the other places it's used. It is used talking about a contrast. Okay? Here's this thing. And then here's something of the opposite character. And so you begin with this, you have a change in your thinking, and you end up with something in an opposite character, okay? Here's the truth. 
the gospel message, which we've already talked about, when you add one thing to it, you end up changing it from the message that gives eternal life to the message that brings eternal hell. It perverts the gospel. It distorts it into something of the opposite character. Something that is good news that brings eternal life to something that is bad news that brings eternal judgment. How? When you add good works to the gospel of grace. Look at it. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. Anathema, under the judgment of God. Paul says, you don't mess with the gospel. Again, what is it? That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried. He rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And the, the way you become a beneficiary of the gospel is you trust, you believe in Jesus Christ that he did that for you. And when you do, apart from works, God gives you eternal life. Now let me make a statement today. As the pastor of this church, I cannot, nor will I, fellowship or work in partnership with those who believe another gospel message than the one that Paul and the apostles and even Jesus preached, which is, listen, it is salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Now that doesn't mean that I'm not willing to help people see it, work with people. Doesn't mean that I'm gonna be mean or nasty to somebody who differs. What it though means is this, folks. This is the foundation of unity and if we can't agree on this, we're not gonna agree on a lot of stuff. As a matter of fact, in Galatians 2, Paul said, look, these people of wrong ideas came in and we didn't give them any time at all to propagate error. We will not compromise on this, okay? You want to be clear on the gospel? Use terms like believe, put your faith in, put your trust in. All of those are biblical. They all come from the same word, okay? Greek word, pistuo. Those are the terms. Don't say give Christ your life. That has the connotation that you have to be faithful. Don't say invite him into your life, invite him into your heart, give him your heart. None of those terms are the same as believe. They're not the same. And so let's be biblical, okay? Let's be biblical. Secondly, under this, unity also comes from embracing God's purpose, for our lives as his own purpose. Now this is for Christians. Jesus said Mark 8:35 for whosoever will save his life shall lose it but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels. Now this that verse this is not talking about how to get to heaven. This is talking about the Christian's life. He's talking to disciples, okay? The same shall save it. Paul addressed this same idea in 1 Thessalonians 2, 4 when he said, but as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak not as pleasing men, but God which trieth our hearts. 
You see, folks, God has allowed us as Christians, he's allowed us to carry the only message that brings eternal salvation to the world around us. That is a tremendous privilege. But with privilege comes responsibility and accountability. And so he gives us the message, he gives us the privilege of sharing the message, and then he says this, I'm testing you whether you'll be faithful to me or not. If we view the world as Jesus did, we will have no problem with embracing God's purpose as our own purpose. Let me say it again. If we view the world as Jesus did, we will have no problem with this. Why do I say that? Here's why I say it, friend. Because you will see, if we view the world as Jesus did, you will see the world as he did. You will see the need as he saw the need. He saw the need so much he left heaven to come to earth to die on the cross, pay for our sins so that we could be saved. Listen, listen. He wouldn't have done it if we could do it ourselves. He wouldn't have done it. But because of his great love for us, Jesus came, died, rose from the grave, and all who trust in him, he gives them eternal life. Let me illustrate it. I know I use this a lot, but it makes it clear. If this hand were to represent you and me, and let this wallet represent our sin. Here we are. Guess what? We're all sinners. You know, what makes the good news such good news? Well, because the bad news is such bad news. We're all sinners, yet God loves us. He hates our sin. If you see heaven is a perfect place for you to get to heaven, you have to be perfect. You have to be sinless. This is how you have to be. None of us are. We come into the world as sinners. If we die without having our sins taken care of, we will spend eternity separated from God in hell. Religion comes along and says, oh, boy, that's scary. Okay, I'll behave myself. I'll do better. I'll try harder. I'll go to church more. I'll give more. Okay, I'll surrender more. I'll stop my bad habits. I'll start new habits. I'll walk old ladies across the street, whether they want to go or not. None of those things will save you. I'll be a good neighbor. I'll give money to charity. Nope, nope, they're all good works. They're all good works, but none of those things will save you because it says you're saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. So then what are we going to do? That's why Jesus came. There's nothing we could do. He took on flesh, God himself in the flesh, went to the cross, and when he went to the cross, all the sin you've ever done, all the sin you'll ever do, he came, he took it all upon himself, he made the payment, he died, he rose from the grave, and he says, if you'll trust in me that I did that for you, I will give you as a free gift everlasting life. It's free because he paid the price for the gift, for salvation, It's not free because it's cheap. It's free because he paid the price and he offers it to us freely. This is the most precious thing in all the world. Is it worth it for me as a Christian to strive for unity in the local church, to live my life for Jesus Christ and his purpose? Is it worth it? Let me answer that with another question. Was your salvation worth it? Was my salvation worth it? Is a person spending eternity in heaven instead of in hell worth it? 
It's worth it for me to dedicate my life to living for that purpose. Why? Because if no one does it, no one else gets saved. I am so grateful that somebody cared enough about me to get me out to a meeting. And I was very reluctant, but I'd made a promise that I would go. And I went. And as I went, I said, the only reason I'm going is to show you, to prove to you that what they're saying down there at that place is not true. And an hour and a half later, I was born again. The gospel is the power of God into salvation. What did he say? He said exactly what I just said. Not word for word, but even with the wallet. Yeah, that's where I first saw it. Even with the wallet. By the way, over and over and over again. See, there's nothing of greater worth. That is why we do what we do. That is why we spend our lives on others is so that others can be saved. And this is where the unity is supposed to come from. Not unity for unity's sake. You can have union and not have true unity. You take two cats, tie their tails together and put them over a clothesline. You have union. You don't have unity. (laughs) See, folks, God's agenda. Oh, I don't like this guy. He's an animal abuser. I am not. I love animals. Okay, I love animals. Yes, I even love cats. I love dogs more than cats, but I do love cats. I think they're great pets for other people. (laughs) What's wrong with that? Listen, we're allergic to some cats. Years ago, I mentioned this recently, I was working in pest control and I went to a, I don't know why I'm telling you this. You'll find it interesting, that's why. I went to a, a place, a house, I was doing pest control, I would go to different houses and I, and I went there and the first time I went, the lady says, hi, and I told her who I was. Oh yeah, I was expecting you. She said, now before you come in, I want you to understand something. I said, Okay. And I, I look down, and there's a, there's a litter box. And I think, I don't know what she's going to tell me. She has, we have a pet skunk. But she's been descented. Oh, really? Yeah, her name is Katie. <laughs> they use a litter box. That's what they do. Okay? Isn't that amazing? And by the way, before I left, I was petting Katie... Nice little creature. Would I, do I want Katie as my own? No, but for them, great little creature for that family. Anyway, here you go. Let's move on. C, unity comes from God offering salvation to all mankind. Now, do you understand the unity in that? God offering all salvation to all mankind. There is a unity. There is a fellowship. There is a common bond for all of us based on two things. One, we're all lost and condemned and guilty and we can't save ourselves. We're all in the same boat. Two, through Jesus, all of us can be saved. And that brings a unity. See, when we focus on the gospel, what happens is that all the other stuff becomes less important and now there's this unifying thing for us. That's why Paul said in Philippians 1, Striving together for the faith of the gospel. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Unity comes from God offering salvation to all mankind. Not just some. Not just some. 
Therefore, all who receive it, there is a like-mindedness that we have with each other. Do you see it in verse 8? Now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God. The circumcision refers to the Jews. Jesus Christ first came to the Jews, did he not? He came offering the kingdom to confirm the promises made unto the fathers. It was a fulfillment. Jesus came in fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. And that, here you go now, this is where we come in. This is good news for those of us who aren't Jews. And that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. If you're not a Jew, you're Gentile. As it is written, for this cause I will confess to thee among the Gentiles and sing unto thy name. And again he saith, rejoice ye Gentiles with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all ye Gentiles, and laud him, all ye people. And again, Isaiah saith, there shall be a root of Jesse, and he that shall rise to reign over the Gentiles. In him the Gentiles trust. No, the church is not mentioned in the Old Testament, but the church is seen through verses like this in the Old Testament. See, we can look back and say, ah, I got it. Because in the days in which we live, the church, the body of Christ, is made up of Jew and Gentile. They didn't understand that back then. They knew, yes, the gospel would be offered, but they didn't understand the dynamics, the chemistry of the church. And by the way, this, of course, is where the book of Romans has taken us, isn't it? Do you remember chapters 9, 10, and 11? Chapter 9, well, I won't give you the whole outline of the entire book, but the early chapters, we are guilty, lost, condemned, Jew and Gentile, it doesn't matter, we're all in the same boat. Jesus came to die for the sins of the world, Jew and Gentile. All who trust in Christ, Jew or Gentile, have eternal life. Then there's those chapters, understanding salvation. Then the chapter 9, the past history of the Jews. Chapter 10, when Paul wrote the present history of the Jews or the present situation of the Jews. Chapter 11, the future of the Jews. And chapter 11 was so dynamic in talking about what God did when the Jews rejected Jesus. The gospel was opened up in a more direct way to the Gentiles, and many more Gentiles trusted Jesus Christ the Savior, which provoked the Jewish people to jealousy. And one day, everybody will enjoy the privileges of the kingdom age, which is yet future. And this is where Romans has taken us. We have seen the gospel was presented to the Jews in the person of Christ. They rejected him, Turn to the Gentiles, and both Jew and Gentile in Christ make up the church, okay? You're in Romans. Uh, Look with me back, or yeah, back a little bit to Romans 11. Romans 11. Now, you may be here, and you might say, I've never heard any of this before. Well, you know, friend, I'm sorry. I really am. You should have heard it before. This shouldn't be new to anybody unless you don't know Christ the Savior, Every church ought to be teaching this. It's a Bible, right? Romans. I mean, Romans. You can understand maybe somebody not being familiar with Philemon, okay, or 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, but Romans? Romans 11.30, For as ye in times past have not believed God, yet have now obtained mercy through their unbelief. Gentiles have obtained mercy through the unbelief of the Jews. 
Even so have these also now not believed that through your mercy they also may obtain mercy. Verse 32 is key. For God hath concluded them all in unbelief that he might have mercy upon all. And you know what I love about verse 32? Verse 32 does away with this thing called Calvinism. One verse does away with Calvinism completely. The all, you see it in verse 32, the all of part A of the verse is speaking of the same people as the all of part B of the verse. All in unbelief, no one's born saved. All in unbelief, and no same all in unbelief, God says, I'll have mercy upon all of those in unbelief. If God will have mercy on all unbelievers, that means anybody can be saved. Yes, that's what the Bible teaches. That's why it said, and I told you we would come back to it, Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to all that believe, okay? To everyone that believeth. Remember what it said? To the Jew first, that's how it came, and also to the Greek. Now back to Romans 15, let's wrap it up. It says, now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace, in believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Where is joy and peace found? It is found in believing God. It is found in believing God. Don't you just get a kick out of it? I hope you're not offended or intimidated when somebody says, oh, you're just one of those ignorant Bible-believing people. Okay? You almost feel like going back to him. Oh, yeah, uh, duh, uh, yeah. <laughs> Friend, here's what, I st- what I've started saying. People who want to mock me for being a Christian, I tell them this. You ought to try it. Be nice, but do this. Your friend, I'm sorry you feel the way you do. As a matter of fact, I feel sorry for you. I feel sorry for you because you don't know the reality that I have. What I'm telling you is the truth. Let me ask you this morning, if you're here, maybe watching over the internet, do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? You, you don't have the joy and the peace that comes through faith in Christ. You need to trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. If you're here today and you've never done that, would you trust in Christ as your Savior? Let me ask you this, if you're already a Christian, What place does the Lord and his purpose have in your life? Does it drive you? Is your life ordered, controlled by the great commission of getting the gospel to the world? It ought to be. This is worth living for. You know, if something's not worth dying for, it's not worth living for. But more than anything else, don't confuse the two. Salvation is offered to you today as a free gift if you'll simply put your faith in Jesus Christ. Would you do that? Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.